Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll, I have come to do your will, O God. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, although the law required them to be made. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. The text in Hebrews chapter 10 is talking about sacrifices and offerings. Probably the most exposure you or I have ever had to sacrifices and offerings would be what we would view on television or in a movie. We've seen some replicas of of such things as sacrifices that are mentioned here in this text. Or maybe you burn something on the barbecue and so you have some idea of what it means to to offer a burnt offering to the family. (laughs) Anyway, this text is talking about sacrifices and offerings that were made in the Old Testament that had the regulations, uh, something that most people at that time were familiar with that we're not familiar with. So before we look at the notion of sacrifices, and actually this word sacrifice means slaughter in Hebrew. So they're slaughtering animals. The term offering means to lift up. So sacrifices and offerings, we'll, we'll note, actually carry that same meaning, to lift up something to God. Now, the, the, the sacrifices and offerings that, that are mentioned here in the book of Hebrews are taken from the Old Testament, and yet at this point uh, that the book of Hebrews is written, these are, these are about to end forever. As a matter of fact, in a very few short years, they, the sacrifices that the children of Israel were offering would never be offered again. They stopped. They stopped it uh, when the Roman government the Roman armies came into the city of Jerusalem and completely destroyed the altar and, and everything involved in it. And no more sacrifices were made. But more than that, Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection, actually brought the sacrificial system to a close for, for a very good reason. But it was coming to an end even at this time. When Jesus came to this earth, these, these, this system was, was, and practice was... was uh, grinding to a halt. Amos chapter 5, verse 21 through 24, which is written probably 500 years or 450 years before the time of Jesus, said this. Amos speaking for God. God is saying, I hate. I despise your feast days. and will not smell in your solemn assemblies. Though you offer me burnt offerings and your meat offerings, I will not accept them. Neither will I regard the peace offerings of your fat beast." Take away from me the noise of your song. I will not hear the melody of your vials, but let judgment run down his waters and righteousness as a mighty stream. Anyone who has read the Old Testament realizes that the nation of Israel was involved in the sacrificial system, that they had 
They had a practice that was hinged in and rooted in the sacrifices. But before we can deal with what they were doing, we should back up a little bit and look back in, into ancient history and see that this practice, as a matter of fact, of sacrifices was something, something that uh, was typical of most nations of, of that time, of the old time. The archaeological records that we have of ancient nations indicate that many of the civilization before had some form of sacrifices. These were efforts on the part of the supplicants in order to either appease their gods, whom they believed to be gods, to placate them, or to offer some sort of thanksgiving to their gods in this, in this form. And they were all doing the same thing. They were hoping that their sacrificial system or their sacrifices was reaching up because they believed that God was above them in the, in the atmosphere or in the stratosphere. They, they believed that that's where God was. So when it talks about offering, this term offering in the Hebrew means to hold up. So they were offering up, letting the smoke of the sacrifices go into the air, and they were offering holding up the sacrifices as it were. Ancient peoples built altars on high places. Some of them built them under, very, under trees too, but usually it was on a high promontory that these, these altars were built. And they were, for the most part, they were animal in nature, animal sacrifices. Now, the very, at the very first beginning of the Bible, we read that there were sacrifices made by the two sons, two of the sons of Adam and Eve. And they were made by Cain and Abel. So in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3 and 5, it says, In the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground an offering unto the Lord. So he was wanting to give something to God. And Abel, he also brought of the firstlings of his flock and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and to his offering. Now, he had respect in all likelihood because God had mentioned to these two boys the type of sacrifice he wanted. And so Abel brought the one that God asked for, and Cain did not. And we know this because in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says, By faith, and we know from other texts, Romans 10, verse 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So they heard what God asked for. And so by faith, God had asked Abel, by faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Okay. So the reason that, that God accepted one and did not accept the other was because he asked for one and did not ask for the other. That's simple enough. Now, as we come a little further in the book of Genesis, and we're reaching back into ancient, ancient history. After the flood, and after Noah beached the ark on dry ground, and the animals came out, and everybody came out on dry ground, then, then uh, Noah built an altar and offered a sacrifice. So in Genesis chapter 8, at verse 20 through 22, it says, Noah built an, ark, un, uh, built an altar unto the Lord, and, the, and the, he took of every clean beast, of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Okay, get the, get the idea now. He has, he has built an altar. He's stoked it with wood and fire, started the fire and got the cold going. Then he put every, every clean beast, a portion of every clean beast, on that altar, and they were burned up 
and the fire went up. So he was making an offering, holding up an offering to God. And it said, the Lord smelled a sweet savor. Now that word savor means a sweet fragrance. You sometimes have to think of this in terms of of your own olfactory glands. When you come into a room that's attached to a kitchen and you smell dinner cooking, it is a sweet fragrance. That's exactly what this means. God smelled, he smelled the offering made by Noah and it was a sweet fragrance to him. And the Lord said to him, he he said, uh, I will not again curse the ground or any more for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. So God told Noah something at that point that we, of course, participate in and enjoy, and that is there'll be no more flooding, complete annihilation of the earth. We do know, however, that the earth is going to end. Anyway, these are isolated instances in the early Bible history where altars were erected and, and sacrifices were made. There are a couple of others that I men, might mention. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 5 through 8, Abram, whose name was later turned or changed to Abraham, said he took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance they had gathered, and the souls they had, had gotten in Haran, and they went forth and went into the land of Canaan. And when they came into the land of Canaan, it says in the plains of Merah, the Canaanite was in the land, and the Lord appeared unto Abram and said unto Thy seed I'll give this land. So now God is speaking to Abram, and he's telling him, I'm going to give you this land. And so Abram, in turn, built an altar and offered a sacrifice to God in appreciation, trying to offer something. God is going to give me the land. I will give something back to God. That, that seems reasonable, doesn't it? It says he, he went ahead and it said it, he removed from there and went into a mountain on the east of Bethel, which was in, in the land of uh, Canaan. He pitched his, hint, his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east, and there he built an altar unto the Lord, and he called upon the name of the Lord. So he built another altar. So we have instances in the book of Genesis where sacrifices were being made, animal sacrifices being made, offered up to God. Only one instance do we have where a human sacrifice was to be altered, to be offered. And God asked for that. He asked Abraham to offer his son as a sacrifice. And the story is kind of gruesome. It's found in chapter 22 of Genesis. And the whole chapter talks about it. Anyway, Abraham took his boy Isaac and, and they uh, took their animals and started up the burden, beast of burden, started up the mountain and they gathered up the fuel for the fire and so forth. And as they got closer, Isaac asked his father, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham said, he will provide. And, and God had asked Abraham to offer his son. Well, now, he did not offer him. It was a test. God did not accept human sacrifices. So he would not have offered, he would not have allowed Abraham to offer that sacrifice. But he tested Abraham. He tested his faith. And he, he said, when he, when he got through, of course, he, he told Abraham that he was, he was acceptable to him because of his faith. Well, it is mentioned again in the, book, in the New Testament in chapter 2 of the book of James. 
this, in, this instance, a human sacrifice, the only one we have in the Bible in terms of God being involved with it. However, there, there are other instances in the Bible of human sacrifices being offered and God saying, I don't accept that. I do not accept human sacrifices. In Leviticus chapter 18 at verse 21, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the stories of Jesus. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy are the stories of Israel's beginning, their history. So in this book, chapter 18 of Leviticus, which is the book that defines all the sacrificial system that they were to put in place, in, in, involved in embeddedness was God telling them about all the sacrifices they would offer, but he said, I do not want you to offer your seed. Do not make a human offering to me, human sacrifice. He said, do not let any of your seed, that's their offspring, do let not any, any of your seed pass through the fire of Molech. Molech was a false god. Some say, well, I'm not sure that we have any archaeological evidence of it, but some records tell us something about it. The Bible doesn't. But it tells about the, the figure of Molech as a, as a giant human, big, heavy human being with arms outstretched that they, that they actually uh, built a fire inside this, this uh, idol and that the, that the arms would get cherry red hot that they would place their babies on the arms of, the, of this idol as a sacrifice. Now that's, that's the, what archaeological information gives us some, to some degree. I don't think any of them have been dug up, but they've dug up some records that, that uh, talk about it. In Leviticus chapter 20, verse 1 through 3, it says, The Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Again, you shall say to the children of Israel, Whosoever he is of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn in Israel, that gives any of his seed unto Molech, he shall surely be put to death. So it was a death penalty if you offered a human being as a sacrifice. Now that does not mean that human sacrifices were not being made all over this world at that time because they were. We have, we have archaeological evidence of human sacrifices being made. In Egypt, in early Egypt, we have some that date back to some, somewhere around 4,000 years before Christ. And on this hemisphere in South America, we have complete evidence of the Incas and Mayas offering human sacrifices by the hundreds. Okay. Now the Bible does not indicate that the altars which God allowed to be erected were places where individuals were allowed to make offerings to God. It doesn't indicate that all, that all these different places, there's, there's no mention made in the book of Genesis about where they should be located. However, when you come into the into the uh, land of Canaan and God has given his advice to them, he will determine which, which place they should have their altar erected to, to receive sacrifices. Well, we do have an incident, though, that, that does help us understand this idea of the, uh, the sacrifice ascending into heaven to God and the smoke going up to God and the offering being made in that, that form. And the only instance that I know of actually is in Judges chapter 13. It involves the, the parents of Samson. 
You remember the story of Samson and Delilah. Well, an angel came to Samson's parents. To Manoah was his name. And he transferred, transmitted all the information to Manoah and his wife about the coming birth of Samson and gave them the instructions about not letting the boy uh, cut his hair. They were to shave his head, not have any hair on his head. Plus, he was not to eat anything of the grape, not even the husk of the grape, all the days of his life. So he was not to touch anything that could be turned into wine. And, uh, and also, he's to keep his head shaved. Or not keep his shave, but not shave his head. <laughs> I got that just backwards, I'm sorry. He was not to put a razor on his head. He'd let his hair grow. Okay. This angel was talking to them, and then in, in this, this text, in Judges chapter 13, in verse 15, it says, Manoah said unto the angel, Lord, I pray you, let us, let us detain you. Now what Manoah wanted was for the angel to have supper with them, have a meal, stay with us. And we will make ready a kid for you. And the angel Lord said to Manoah, Though you detain me, I will not eat your bread. And if you will offer me burnt offerings, you must offer it unto the Lord. So he, he, now he's connecting, and keep this in mind because we're going we're to look at this carefully. He's connecting the eating of a meal with the sacrifice. Okay? Eating of the meal sacrifice. So it says Manoah knew that he was an angel. And Manoah said unto the angel of the Lord, What's your name? Why he asked that, I don't know. And the angel didn't know it either. He said, he said that when your sayings come to pass, we may do your honor, do you honor. So basically, Manoah is wanting to do something for the angel as well as for God. But, but the angel said, I'm not going to give you my name. He said, Why do you ask after my name, seeing it's a secret? So Manoah took a kid with a meal offering, with a meat offering and offered it upon a rock unto the Lord and the angel did wondrously. So Manoah went ahead and made a sacrifice and it says the angel did something out of the ordinary. And his wife looked on. Manoah and his wife both were watching and it said it came to pass when the flame went up from, from uh, the altar to heaven it says the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar. The angel went up in the flame. Okay, they're wanting to have a meal. And they've got the meal ready to go. And they put it on the altar, and the angel went up with the, with the flames. What, 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 just keep that in mind. I wanna, we'll come back to it in just a minute and briefly. Now, the idea is that when the flame goes up, the offering goes up, and God accepts it. Okay, he accepts, accepts it being taken up in fire. In 1 Kings chapter 18, Elijah was going to have a contest with the prophets of Baal, Baal or Baal. And so he gathered 450 prophets together, and they got went up on mount on a mount uh, in Mount Carmel. And when they got up on the mountain, they had two bullocks, one for the false priest and one for Elijah. And uh, they, the, the uh, false prophets built their altar, they built their fire, and they put their bullock on it. They, they sent, up, sent the fire up, and they, they were calling upon their God to do something, speak, do something. 
Elijah mocked him, said maybe he's on a journey, maybe he's asleep, he's not going to answer you. And then, after they got through, and they, they cut themselves, they went into a frenzy. And this is basically how the ancient sacrifices went. People went into a mystical frenzy, thinking that they could communicate somehow with their gods. And basically, that's the way Israel, and that's the way Abraham, and that's the way Noah communicated with God, was through a sacrifice. So, Elijah then took his bullock, and he built an altar out of 12 stones. It says he restored the altar, so there may have been one there before. And that's why he chose the place. Put all the wood on it, got the fire going, put the bullock on it that was been slaughtered. That's what the word sacrifice means. Then they took 12 barrels of water and poured them all over the sacrifice until the water was running down the trenches. Then he called on the name of the Lord, and fire came down from heaven and consumed everything. Consumed the bullock, consumed the fire, consumed the altar, con lapped up all the water in the trenches. Okay, so we have this business of the uh, sacrifice being a connection directly through fire with God. All right. When we come to the sacrifices that Israel was making then later on, that, that are delineated in the book of Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, basically. When we see all those sacrifices, we find that they're well-regulated and intended for a certain purpose. So that now we have sacrifices that you can see in the Old Testament. You can see some that took place, basically. We can observe them through the writings of the, of the uh, Old Testament. Now then, when we come to the sacrifices that were offered by Israel that Jesus was talking about and that the book of Hebrews is talking about. These were sacrifices that were regulated and had three purposes. They were, they were well defined. Now when we look at the sacrifice, sacrificial systems made by all the different nations, there's, there's no rhyme or reason to them. All they do is build a big fire and put an animal on it or a human being. That's all they do. And they chant and they go through rituals and so forth. But there's nothing specifically delineated and there's, there's nothing organized about them. But when you look at the Old Testament sacrifices that God gave to Israel, they had a meaning and a purpose. The first meaning of the sacrifice was that people were able at the sacrifices to have a meal with God. They had a meal with God. They brought everything. And God had a meal with them. They ate their part. God consumed his part with fire. That's the way it worked. Secondly, they were purified by those sacrifices. Some of them, we'll, we'll note this second in a second. They were purified because they were offering sacrifices because of their sins. They were offering something that was of value to them. And what they were offering of value to them involved with the sin offerings and the trespass offerings was a life. They were offering something living. Something that had life. Something that meant a great deal to them. Something that was important to them. Something that cost them a great deal. Something they were attached to. And thirdly, it purified them. Set them apart. Distinguished them. 
The word is holy. They became a holy people. And let's look at this then. Let's, let's make sure we know how different these types of sacrifices were from those that were occurring in the world around them. First of all, God said, the only place you're going to do this is the place that I select. You're not going to do this all over the world. I'm not scattering this everywhere. You come here, you do it here. I'll regulate it. I will define it. I will specify it. But you come here. And the place he did it was at the temple, where the temple was. That's where they had their sacrifices. No, no, no place else. This is where they were offering them. Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 1 through 7. Moses specifically says it. These are the statutes and judgments which you shall observe to do in the land which the Lord your God, your fathers, give you to possess. All the days of, that you'll live on the earth, you shall utterly destroy the places wherein all the nations which you shall possess serve their God. Destroy. He, then he delineates. He said, destroy all of the places where the false gods were being worshipped. Don't sacrifice there. Stay away from them. Tear them down. He said, you'll overthrow their altars, break their pillars, burn their groves with fire, hew down the graven images of their gods, and destroy their names out of that land. Take it all away. Don't do this anymore. You shall not do so unto the Lord your God, but unto the place which the Lord your God shall choose out of all your tribes to put his name there, even unto his habitation, you'll seek, and there we will come. And there they were to perform their sacrifices. Now, they carried this temple with them, or tabernacle with them, through the wilderness when God first told them how to build it when they're at Mount Sinai in the wilderness. They carried that tabernacle with them and the altar they took with them. And that's where they made their sacrifices. They didn't make it in front of every cottage that was. They didn't go off somewhere in the, in the woods by themselves. They didn't run off on a high hill by themselves. They did it here where God said, here's where you do it. He regulated these sacrifices. And he told them what type they were supposed to be. But you'll do it here, he said. And when David brought the Ark of the Temple, of the Tabernacle, you know the Ark that had the covenant and so forth? And the mercy seat, he brought that into the city of Jerusalem. And on the Mount of Zion, they built the temple and the ark there. And that's where they had to come, to the city of Jerusalem. And to Zion, and to the altar there, and that's where they made their sacrifices. That's what God had intended. He gave specific instructions in addition to the place. He said, these are the people that will offer the sacrifices. And so he... he uh, regulated the sacrificial system by making sure that it was not everyone who could do it, but just the priest. The high priest was of Aaron and his sons and his lineage. So in Exodus chapter 28, he selected the tribe of Aaron and his boys and said, these are the fellows that will do it. So you bring your sacrifices here, they'll offer them for you. I know this is complicated, but, but the main point I want to make is this is so different than anything the world had ever seen ever before or ever after. This is, this is unheard of. This is unheard of. All the specifics for sacrifices, the types of sacrifices, the place of the sacrifice, the people that were authorized to perform the sacrifices, the clothing they wore when they offered the sacrifices. 
This is so unique. It stands out in history from anything else that has ever been done before or after. Nothing like it before, nothing like it after. But because it was of God. Now he told them that only this family could offer these sacrifices, Aaron and his boys. And the type of sacrifices were specified. And they were all well-defined. Peace offerings, wave offerings. Now these are vegetables sometimes. Peace offerings, wave offerings, meal offerings, thank offerings, heave offerings, drink offerings, burnt offerings, sin offerings, trespass offerings, offerings for cleansing. When they, when they touched the dead body, they came and there was a certain sacrifice they offered in order to cleanse that person of that physical in, uh, infection. They offered a sacrifice for childbirth. You remember Jesus and, and his parents took him up at the certain time to the city of Jerusalem after he was born, and they offered sacrifice for his birth for, for the firstborn. And there were uh, dedications and festivals. They had three festivals in their, in their uh, yearly activities. They had three times a year, every male in Israel had to appear before God at the city of Jerusalem when it was finally established under David. They had to be there three times a year. First of all, the Passover. We know about that one, don't we? There was a sacrifice made at the Passover. And then there was the Day of Atonement when they all came together and, and the, the high priest took a goat and put all the sins of Israel on his head and shooed him off in the wilderness and then took the other goat and offered him as a burnt offering. Then there was the Feast of First, first Fruits that was uh, the, actually the Pentecost. First fruits and the, and the final fruits. The offerings were made for sins and trespasses and these were called atonements. When you think about offerings that were made by blood, burnt offerings, they didn't eat these. When they offered an offering for a sin offering, it was, it was burned. And part of it was given to the priest and the rest of it was given to God in the fire. So that's the way it worked. Sin offering and trespass offering. The other offerings were shared. They were meals. People came and had a meal with God. They ate theirs. He took his by fire. Very, very simple concept. But there are burnt offerings that were offered specifically. The people did not eat those. Some of, some of the meat was given to the priests to sustain them because they didn't have any land. And all, this was an agrarian culture. In other words, everybody had land and they farmed their land or they raised their herds. But the Levites weren't given any land, so they didn't have any herds and they didn't have any crops. So they had no means of support. So they were given tithes. They brought their tithes as an offering. And they were given the meat that was, that was offered as, as uh, burnt offerings and uh, sacrifices. They were designed to purify the flesh, but they did not remove sin. Hebrews chapter 9 tells us that. They cannot remove sin. They could purify the flesh, but the sin remained. Now, when we talked about an atonement, let's think of it this way. An atonement meant to cover the sin. It did not take it away. It's like a farmer who's going to town, and he's got another year coming. He's got to raise his crops. He has to borrow money for his coming year. But if the farmer gets there and has not paid his past debt, 
and it's passed along, he simply tells them, I've got, to, I've got to have enough money to cover that one too. So that's just, that, that loan has just been covered. So he keeps postponing and keeps covering his loan until finally one day that loan's going to be due. So that's what an atonement was. An atonement was the blood of the sacrifices that covered the sin but did not do away with it. It just said it's still here. You can go another year. You can start afresh again, but you still owe that debt back there. You, you follow? It just kept going. Some people call this rolling it over. That's not really what he was doing. They were just reminding themselves of the fact that these sins had never been taken care of. Never been taken care of. That's what an atonement is. But the, uh, the sacrifices were, were uh, designed as the underlying purpose of reminding people of the fact that they were coming short of the glory of God, that they were sinning. That was the purpose of them. So when you offered an animal sacrifice and you offered a life that you were, you were attached to, a life that you favored, and they offered, they offered the firstborn, and not just the firstborn of the flocks, but the best of the firstborn, the finest of the firstborn. And so they had to carry that sacrifice to the altar and watch it die. You know, farmers and those who deal in livestock with their families will not allow the kids to nail the, name their animals because the animal may end up on the table eventually. So you don't, you don't name your turkey before Thanksgiving because the kids don't want to eat Uncle Tom, you know. So this is, this is what's, what's going on. These people were bringing these sacrifices, carrying them in their arms, and, and offering them to God and watching them go up in flame for their sins. So they had, had to know that there was, a, there was a seriousness involved in their life before God. So they were, they were offering a life, but it wasn't their life. It was the life of an animal. But these were simply shadows. We know that, don't we? These were shadows. You know what a shadow is? It's not the reality of something. Somebody can stand and the sun will be in the east, and he's standing here, and in the west you see his shadow. The shadow is not the reality, but the shadow does tell you something about the reality. So the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 4, says that the law, having a shadow of good things to come, not the very image of things, can never with those sacrifices which they offered take away sin. So even though they were offering a life for their sins, it wasn't taking the sin away. It was a shadow. It was showing that something else was coming that was better. And also in Hebrews chapter 8 at verse 5 it says, They serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle. For see, saith he, that you make all things according to the pattern shown thee in the mount. The temple service and the animal sacrifices were models, 3D dimensional models of what was going to come that was more important. So instead of God saying, okay, here's what Jesus looks like, Here's what your salvation looks like. Here's what eternity is going to look like. He drew a picture. And he drew a picture, a human picture, a 3D picture, three-dimensional. So you could see that this is what it's, it favors. But it's just a shadow. It's just, it's just just the image. And then at chapter 9, at verse 11 in Hebrews, it said, Christ became a, whole, a high priest over good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, 
not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. So we know that the blood of Christ was being pictured in those animal sacrifices. We know that the offering of the, of the body of Jesus Christ is pictured in those sacrifices. We know, what, we know what's happening in the sacrificial system, in the patterns for us. And all the offerings that were made up to God, we know that they were simply a picture showing us something about Jesus and about our lives. Okay. The sacrifices offered by God-fearing people at that time were a means of dining with God. It was a meal table. We already know that, don't we? And the, uh, the fact that Noah, when he offered his sacrifice, it was a sweet fragrance to God, was that the fact that they were eating with God. What does that picture about us? That's what we need to know. Okay. The Passover was an evening meal. They were taking it, and they offered those sacrifices. They had, they had all their, their lambs, and they, they took the lamb, and they had the different, the different uh, uh, ingredients of that table when they left Egyptian bondage. As a matter of fact, they had, uh, they had bread, unleavened bread, and bitter herbs, just three things, actually, the meat and the bitter herb and the bread. And then they, they were supposed to be standing with their shoes on their feet, ready to go when the time came. And they ate their portion of that, and they ate as much as they could, and when they finished eating, if they didn't, couldn't eat it all, they were to burn the rest of it. Anyway, God had consumed his portion with fire, and when Jesus came, he actually had the Passover meal, the last meal he had with his apostles was a Passover meal in the evening. And during that time, he established his own memorial meal. So if we're going to eat with God, we eat the Lord's Supper with God because the Passover meal pictured that. It pictured that. That's what Jesus said. 1 Corinthians 5 verse 7 it says, He is our Passover. Jesus is our Passover. And so then, when he was, uh, he, when he was distributing the meal, he gave the bread, Matthew chapter 26, verse 26 through 28. He broke the bread and gave to each of them and said, Take, eat, this is my body, broken for you. He's talking about a sacrifice. They are sharing that. Then he took the, the, the fruit of the vine. He said, This is my blood. This is, this is my cup, the blood of my cup, shed for you. So now he, he took the meal and he initiated that. And then when we sat down at that meal... We're dining with God. We don't have to set it a barbecue, as it were, with meat going up and us setting God taking his by fire and we're taking ours by food. We're with Jesus at his table. He's saying, as often as you do this, you do remember my death. You memorialize my death. And it's stated again in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So the Lord's Supper is that which had been pictured by the old sacrifices. Secondly, let's talk about this business of life. Now, when they brought their animals, they were bringing life to God. This is the tough part of this, but let me, let me just mention something to the, about this. An animal sacrifice was, was to be a very precious gift of life. 
the nations around us, the, na the nations before, asked for human life because they were thinking the same way except they thought maybe it was the life of a human being that would please God, placate God if he were angry or please him if they could offer something. And so they offered sacrifices, human sacrifices. I want to bring this to your attention. The human sacrifices that were made were of their enemies. They did not make a sacrifice of the best that they had. They did not make a sacrifice of royalty. They did not make a sacrifice of their favored children. They sacrificed the disposable individuals in their society. Their enemies, political enemies, they were sacrificed. Their, their uh, warriors or foes, their, those who they enslaved, they sacrificed their slaves. They sacrificed their criminals. They sacrificed their prisoners, and they sacrificed infants that were not profitable to society. They, human sacrifices. Um, as late as the 15th century, our era, the Incas and Mayas were still sacrificing individuals, human beings. They were sacrificing the disposable people in their society. Nazi Germany gives us some idea of, of this sort of thinking. But also, these abortion clinics give me pause to think that that's the way our society is disposing of the unwanted and unwelcome individuals of our society. Now, I know there are times when abortions are necessary for medical reasons. We know that. But when we talk about abortion by demand, on demand, simply because I don't want the child unwanted. I don't, I, don't, I don't want to have to care for them. It's going to be a burden on me. We're just going to take care of them. Then I'm reminded that these ancient sacrifices where the unwanted and the unhealthy in, in society were offered on the behalf of someone else. Jesus came as the Lamb of God and He was not unwanted for sure. He came as the Lamb of God. The most precious... I grapple with this in my mind. John the Baptist recognized him and said, Behold the Lamb of God that comes. The Lamb of God. And in, in uh, 1 Peter 1, verse 18 and 20, it says, For as much as you know that you, you are not redeemed with the corruptible things of silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of, the, of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish, without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world. Revelation chapter 5, verse 6 calls him the Lamb. But Ephesians 5, 2 says this. This is the confusing part to me. Walk in love, Paul said, as Christ also loved us, has given himself for an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling sacrifice. Sweet for a sweet fragrance. I'm wondering, were we the ones carrying Jesus to offer him for our sins? Was God carrying Jesus down instead of up and offering him down here for our sins? It boggles my mind. I'm not sure. What I am sure of is that Jesus died for me, for my sins. And he died as a sacrifice.
the slaughter. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. He died for me as a sacrifice. And so that means that I can I can sit at the table with God and I can share a table with him. That tells me that he, he loves me, he cares for me, that he's purified me. And so that's the third point. And the third point in these sacrifices was these people were purified and they were made holy. The word holy means separate. So in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 2, it says, Speak unto the congregation of the Lord, the children of Israel, and say unto them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord, I am your God, I am holy. The sacrifices that they were offering and that the things that they were doing by being able to dine with God, being able to have their sins removed, being able to be, at this point, purified, they became a distinct people, holy people. That's the third part of the sacrifice. So when Jesus died, first thing he did, of course, was he said, you'll sit at my table and eat with me. He said, I'll take away all your sins. That's the sacrifice. And third, he said, I'll make you pure. I'll make you a different type of people. You're different. You're distinct. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Present your bodies a living sacrifice. So, you're distinct. Be holy as I am holy. Let's, let's stand and sing our song and let's let uh, 